Today is the third Sunday in our sermon series called Give Thanks. In these last 15 days, we have turned our focus to the goodness of God, seeking to be alert to all that God is doing in our midst. In that way, I want to share with you that I meant to say before this baptism that it was a little bit over a year ago, July 2019, that Elena stood on this floor and was baptized as an adult. And so we just baptized her child, and I think that's a really beautiful thing uh, to be in this same space. Over these few weeks, we have given thanks for the saints in our lives who have taught us the faith. We have given thanks for music, for the lyrics that lead us and speak for us when we do not have the words. We have given thanks for this church and we have expressed the reasons that we give financially. Today, we are going to talk about giving thanks in the midst of our tears and our worry and our stress. This doesn't mean that we are going to gloss over our grief. It means that we are going to allow ourselves to be grateful and grieving. Psalm 103 is the perfect passage in this regard. Some people label this psalm as an individual song of thanksgiving that celebrates one person's recovery from an illness. Others open it up a little bit to say that this psalm was intended to help Israel remember all the things that God had done to deliver them from Egypt. Still, others open it up further to say this is a song of praise celebrating not a specific deliverance, but God's general activity and character as reasons for us to give thanks. What we do know for sure is that the verses of this psalm form a hymn. Verses 1 and 2 are an invitation to praise, and they are followed by verses 3 through 7 as reasons to praise. Now, I think it's helpful to know that in verses 1 and 2, the word for bless means to bend the knee before. And the word for soul means the self in its totality, our entire being. And so we are invited to bless the Lord, to bend the knee before the Lord, and give him thanks with everything that we have, our entire being. This to me is an invitation to a posture, to a way of life, a way of surrendering all that we are before God. As I thought about those verses this week, they kind of begged questions for me. Am I giving my whole self over to God? Am I praising God through the way that I speak, the way that I treat people, the way that I interact with my families and even strangers? In fact, I thought about it a lot when I was on a Target run this past Monday to get my son a couple of things that I couldn't find online. While I was there, I stood in the return line, which, as you know, doesn't always move super fast. There was a young woman standing at the register, and I'm not kidding, she had a backpack on that had a dog in it. This dog was facing the public, and its little arms and legs were just like hanging out, and I think some of you would think that's the cutest thing ever. I thought it was silly. <laughs> Behind me was a woman who thought it was the cutest thing ever. She inched closer and closer to me and snapped a picture of the dog. And in my head, I'm like, please back away from me, you know, six feet. And like this woman doesn't know that you're taking her picture. 
Then another woman who literally was across the store sees the dog and says, oh my gosh, how cute. And they get in this conversation yelling about this dog and the backpack. In my head, I was very annoyed and impatient, but then I moved my hand to my mouth and I realized what I was wearing, a Bellmead United Methodist Church mask that says, you are loved. I thought about that in my head. I'm not being very loving with the scowl on my face. I'm not being very loving as I sit here impatiently with body language I'm sure they can read. I'm not being very loving when I plow through the parking lot on a mission ignoring the people around me. What I expected to be a nice message to the community suddenly became a tool to hold me accountable. If I want to send the message of love, then I need to live out love with my actions and behavior. I was not giving my whole self over to God. My Monday target life did not match up with my Sunday church life. This psalm reminds us that God wants every single piece and part of us. We do not live as fragmented, segregated beings. What we believe and practice has to be seen in all places. In fact, one of the most frequent words used in this psalm is all. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. Do not forget all his benefits. He who forgives all your inequity. As one scholar put it, this psalm intends to be comprehensive. It affirms that the God who rules over all and does all good things for all persons is to be praised in all places by all creatures with all their being. In a similar way, one of my favorite authors is Brennan Manning, and he writes about the way of gratitude in his book, Ruthless Trust. His claim is that gratitude is four things. It is inclusive, attentive, contagious, and theocentric. That just means that it is God-centered. I was struck by his statement that gratitude is inclusive. What could that mean? To make his point, he quotes both the late Henry Nouwen, a writer and priest, and the psychoanalyst Eric Erickson. Henry Nouwen basically says this, as long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift from God. Let us not be afraid to look at everything that has brought us to where we are now and trust that we will soon see in it the guiding hand of a loving God. Or as Eric Erickson says it, there are only two choices, integration and acceptance of our whole life story or despair. I do not think this means that we have to be grateful for our suffering, especially right away. I do not believe this means that God causes our suffering. I think that it means that at some point in life, we have to accept the good and the bad that we have experienced or be subject to despair and darkness. We can either live as a segregated self, presenting only the good things in life and numbing out the rest, or we can integrate our entire story. We can express gratitude, not necessarily for the suffering, 
but for the experiences and the lessons who have, that have made us who we are today. I think there is something both comforting and challenging about that claim. It is not for you to swallow and digest, but for you to ponder and consider based on your own experiences. And I think that this psalm helps us see how integration is possible. We can integrate every piece of our story, even the bad parts, because of God, because of God's benefits, because God forgives and heals, redeems, crowns, and satisfies. I almost hear those words as a litany of recovery, a process that leads us towards wholeness. If you turn everything over to God, God forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, and satisfies. And I think if we can remember his benefits, all that he has done in our lives, we will see reasons to give praise, to thank him, to bow before him, even in the midst of our grief. I want to give you an example from my own life. In 2016, after much thoughtful discussion, my husband Mark and I decided to try and be parents. I remember exactly where we were. We were walking down a long gravel road. It was Christmas time. We were at his aunt's house in Texas. It was sort of an exciting and terrifying decision. It took several months before I was pregnant in June. Then, as many of you know, at almost 10 weeks of that pregnancy, I realized I was having a miscarriage. I'd experienced loss and grief in my life before, but this was a new kind of grief. I was sad and I was angry, and it took me a long time to process through my feelings. It wasn't long after that miscarriage that I became pregnant with my now two-and-a-half-year-old son, Lewis. That pregnancy was also a new state of fear. I was well aware that anything could happen, and a lot of things did happen. Like when I was 12 weeks pregnant with Lewis, Mark and I both got the flu. And a nurse at the Vanderbilt Clinic looked at me and told me that my baby could die. At 32 years old, I called my mom at 1 o'clock in the morning and I said, You have to come here now. You have to make sure nothing happens to me. Then at 33 weeks, Mark and I were in, in Florida on a vacation. I got a stomach flu that sent me into contractions terrified again. The week before Lewis was born, he had, there was low amniotic fluid in my uh, stomach, and they said he might have to come out immediately. During labor, there was a moment when six nurses rushed into the room and repositioned him because he didn't have enough oxygen. So finally, on that Wednesday morning at 8.41, when that seven-pound, seven-ounce baby came out, I was relieved. On day seven of his life, my friend and photographer Sarah Rose came over to our house for newborn photos. I remember being a new flustered mother. It was July and I was hot and I was getting over a kidney infection that came two days after his birth. Like, I'm not making any of this up. <laughs> this is what women go through. Sarah took him and wrapped him in this soft green colored blanket. She laid him on this white cloud-shaped rug in his room she told me to get down on the ground behind him and lay my head by his head. I stuck my hand on top of him as I lovingly looked at this miracle before me. 
I smiled for a few photos, but the longer I looked at him, the more choked up I got. Finally, the tears began to flow, and I could not stop them. Through all the pain and all the fear and all the heartache, there he was, safe, alive. I was grateful, and I was still grieving. With every tear, the fear was falling out of me. With every tear, the healing was still happening. I brought that photo to share with you. Every time I look at it, I tear up again. But I hold on to it and I look at it because it is a reminder of God's presence and faithfulness to me. God was not faithful to me because I was able to have a baby. God was faithful to me because he came alongside me and offered grace and healing and redeemed me from the pit of emptiness and crowned me with steadfast love and mercy throughout the entire journey. And now, as I navigate emotions after a second miscarriage, I have an experience to see me through. Because of my past, I have learned that you cannot control anything in life. Life is fragile. There are no guarantees of health or safety at any stage. I have learned that you have to stay flexible, that you have to practice acceptance or live in despair. You have to practice gratitude or live in despair. You have to be present to everyone and everything right in front of you or live in despair. So am I thankful for the loss of a pregnancy? In some ways, no. And in some ways, yes. I am thankful for these experiences and what they have taught me about life. I am thankful for the complete picture, for the integration of my joy and my sorrow, for acceptance of a less than perfect life, because that is what it means to be human, what it means to embrace the beauty and the brevity of life. And I am thankful that I stand firm on the promises of God, knowing that in all things, in all times, in all seasons, God is faithful to me and will be faithful again. And all of those things are true for you too. Each of you has a story of pain and loss, of forgiveness and healing, each of you can look back at your life and say, God has been faithful to me and God will be faithful again. Remembering is what sees us through life. It is our entry into a life set on posturing ourselves before God with praise for the entirety of our story. So do not forget all his benefits. Remember what he has done for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.